Today's episode of The Outside World is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Oklahoma Sooner tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download the Game Time app in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. It's not about what the outside world thinks, it's about what does, you know, what do you have in that room, and the best man wins, and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer workout on a Monday morning, they don't see that progress, but, but we as coaches do. Well, regardless of what the outside world thinks, we, we believe a lot in our defense. It's another edition of the outside world, this time post-Texas, the Sooners, a 34-27 to win over rival Texas Longhorns and Jason Kersey joins us on the outside world to discuss. Jason, we know what happened on the field, right? And we'll get into that. We'll get into Jalen Hurts' day. We'll get into Alex Grinch and, and the defensive performance by the Sooners as well. But I need to start with what college football is all about. It's about emotion. It's about rivalries. It's about tempers flaring. And we got it all before kickoff yesterday in Dallas. What was your vantage point of it all? Yeah, man. Um, I had come back from uh, doing radio out in the, in the Fair Park, um, and I got back up to the press box and um, you know, was kind of hanging out, eating and stuff. And I looked down about 30 minutes before um, – kickoff and the whole team is sort of crowded around at midfield. The two teams are sort of crowded around midfield. And all of a sudden I see a flag get thrown and I thought, what? Like that doesn't seem right. I've never seen that before. I'm sure it's happened, but I've never seen it. And so I was a little bit confused and I I said to somebody like, was that, was that a flag? And then sure enough, um, uh, Mike Defee, the, the referee comes on the, uh, the 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 Mike gets on his microphone and and announces that there's a personal foul and sportsmanlike conduct called against every player on both teams and then he clarifies that what that means is that if anyone gets one unsportsmanlike conduct during the game after the game starts they're ejected because you usually get two but uh, everybody entered the game with one and um, so it was pretty interesting I've never seen that happen before. Uh, after the game, oh, and then the best part, John, was uh, was when the team captains go out for the for the coin toss, and he talks to them like he's a disappointed dad. He was like, "Gentlemen, uh, we had a I can't remember. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but you know, we had a we had a incident out here, and this is one of the best games in the Big Twelve, and and we will play a clean game. Is that clear? <laughs> so it was just weird." Listen, I've got respect for a, for an official that tries to take control of a situation like that. Isn't that part of his job? Uh, he talked afterwards and talked about how he has discretion over the field an hour leading into kickoff. And listen, if if, if teams are going to get into it pregame, and by the way, I love it. Uh, I'm fine with the idea of the flag being thrown and uh, and a referee setting the tone because at the end of the game, at the end of the game, football's about discipline. 
you know what? I, I'm back and forth. I don't know if I agree with you or not. I'm not sure that the flag needed to be thrown. Like it felt, it felt like, it felt like a little much to me. I mean, it's fine, um, and it it probably calmed everybody down because nobody got any personal fouls or uh, any personal fouls at all on either side of the team uh, on either side. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I also love this rivalry. I think it's the best rivalry in the country. Um, I feel that even more now that I've been there again this year. Um, I love that there's emotion into it. I love that uh, these two teams, uh, I love that these two teams hate each other. I think that that is what um, makes it so great. And I, I mean, pregame scuffles happen all the time. I just, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I could go either way on it. I could too for the record, but I will always err on the side of discipline in this game. I mean, the more that uh, you and I talk, uh, you'll you'll get to know some of my quirks when it comes to the game of football, and, and discipline is one of them. I think without discipline in the game of football, you don't have anything. And if and sometimes the referees go overboard with those flags, but I think the flags at the same time are are really what keeps everybody on the same page. You got to follow the rules, and and sometimes uh, if if the ref needs to set a tone, he's going to go ahead and do it. But you know, one guy who who maybe seems to be on my side of the the issue is Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator. Um, I saw you write uh, his reaction to the to the pregame flags, and he said it could have been possibly the best thing to happen to Oklahoma um, in this football game. Can you can you take me deeper into that comment and, and explain what he means? Yeah, I actually asked him that question, and um, what I was curious about is Alex Grinch talks about um, aggression a lot, and he also this week spent a lot of time talking about how um, he's not somebody who will downplay a rivalry. He's not someone who will, um, you know, pretend like it's just another game. Um, and so I asked him, you know, given the fact that you like rivalries that you, um, you know, acknowledge the importance of them. And then also, uh, the fact that you talk about aggression, I said, how do you view what happened in the pregame? And he, yeah, he said that he feels like it was probably the best thing that could have happened because it just calmed it. It basically just reset everything and it, and it made everybody realize, okay, we can't screw around here. We have to, uh, we, we can't, you know, mouth off too much. We can't whatever. So, uh, so yeah, Alex Grinch, I, I think was, was okay with it because it, it sort of got the tone set early on that, Hey, we can't, we can't be messing around here. And, and honestly, I mean, I, I, I knew that they weren't going to throw any horns down during the game. I mean, you know, they, they managed to not do it last year at the big 12 championship. I didn't expect that to happen until the game was over, which then it happened a lot. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I I think it was probably just another reminder that hey, you know, that if that's an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty penalty, you can literally get ejected for throwing the horns down. It almost made the stakes higher in the football game. Every play was under the microscope, um, so I kind of see where he's coming from uh, in regards to that perspective. Uh, sometimes you can get a little bit lax, you can be undisciplined, and knowing that that your next step, I'll use a soccer analogy for anybody out there, it's like getting a yellow card. Once you get a yellow card um, on the pitch in, in a soccer match, uh, you play a little bit differently knowing uh, another yellow card will get you thrown out of the game. So uh, it just wasn't one person with a yellow card. The entire Oklahoma defense had one, which I think maybe enhanced their discipline, uh, their focus. And they spent the game absolutely bawling out, Jason. I made a comment on Twitter. Uh, by the way, you can follow me there, at John Hayes on air. During the first quarter, when, when Oklahoma stuffed Texas on, on its first couple drives, 
I made the comment that it looks like Oklahoma has a defense this year, this just in. And that's after, you know, you and I have been chatting this entire season talking about uh, it's not only the numbers that are different, but the eye test uh, proves that the culture is different and people clap back pretty quickly. They've played nobody. It's still the first quarter. Uh, Three quarters later, after the W, um, do you think my comment uh, makes more sense or is on point, or or do you think this defense still has has something to prove? No, they they have a defense now. I mean, they they clearly do. Now, how good are they? Uh, you know, we'll we'll see as the season plays out. But they're they're better than than we even realized. I think. I mean, yesterday. I mean, yeah, they they gave up. Um, you know, twenty seven points, but that is that's okay in the big 12, especially when you have an offense that can do what Oklahoma's can. I think that the takeaway that I had, the biggest one, and the reason I think OU fans should feel encouraged is because they went out there and they played great against a, against a good offense, a good Texas offense and, you know, held them to 310 yards, held them to four yards of play, had a team record nine or a school record or tied a school record, nine sacks, uh, 15 tackles for loss. Um, and the offense hadn't had what would probably be by their standards considered an off day. Jalen Hurts turned the ball over twice in the red zone in the first half on, on consecutive drives. I mean, OU should have been winning by three or four touchdowns at halftime, and they were only up ten to three. And it's been, but the reason that that didn't spiral out of control is because of the defense. I mean, last year, if if, if this was last year's defense and Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray goes down and throws uh, fumbles in the red zone, then throws an interception in the red zone on consecutive first half drives, Texas is winning that game. 20, you know, twenty-one to three, or twenty-one to nothing, or twenty-one to seven, or whatever. Um, and maybe OU has trouble digging out of it because the defense was so bad last year. This year, that didn't happen. And yeah, they scored some points in the second half, but um, I, 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 I think they played exceptionally well. I think Alex Grinch is has done a truly remarkable job with this unit. I mean, and consider this. He hasn't he doesn't even have his guys yet. He's still playing basically with Mike Stoops' guys. And so, you know, they, they don't have the depth that they want. They're not all the way there. They're not getting the takeaways he wants uh, yet. So uh, obviously that's something that is, is going to have to come uh, and going to have to continue to, to uh, improve. So they've got so much they can still improve on. But yesterday they played really well. They are a big reason why they won the game. They bailed the offense out and not vice versa. And let me just tell you this. Just before we started recording here on this uh, Sunday morning, John, uh, um, my friend and I believe yours, David Basil, the uh, guy who runs the Broyles Award, retweeted my article from yesterday and tagged Broyles Award in it. So I think this guy is legit. Certainly, the Baz uh, know him well, and and that Broyles Award for my money is one of the more underrated. Uh, awards in college football because assistant coaches sometimes don't get the praise that they deserve, especially when you've got coaches who are making millions and millions of dollars who are the face of programs. It's easy to fall through the cracks as as an assistant. But Alex Grinch is clearly in a different situation this year, Jason. He's under the microscope. Everybody knew uh, that this Oklahoma defense had to improve to get back to the college football playoff and to win a national championship. Hey, you wrote about Texas coach Tom Herman uh, heading into the postgame press conference looking and sounding totally depressed 
Um, what do you think makes him that way? Is it, it's not just the loss. Is it looking across the field and seeing Oklahoma possibly with 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 a, a quarterback for the third straight year that can go and win a, win a Heisman Trophy? He looks across the field and he sees a program that's clicking much better than his. He looks across the field and he sees Lincoln Riley, a guy that might have his number, not just this year, but for years to come. Uh, was it a big picture depressed look from Tom Herman or, or was it just singularly focused on this football game because he was a hot name Jason Tom Herman was you know it uh, where was he going to sign who was he going to coach which big program was he going to take over he was the next best thing in college football and when he looks in the mirror post game uh, after another loss to, to Oklahoma, that makes it two straight. Last year's championship game, of course, and now this year in Dallas. And it might be three straight if these two meet again in the Big 12 championship game. What makes him so disappointed and depressed, Tom Herman, that is? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think he came in and he seemed very despondent. You know, and, and I think you could look at it from one of two perspectives. I mean, you can say – well, you know, he felt like they had every chance to win because of the turnovers, which maybe, uh, maybe that's what it was. But I, I sort of wonder a little bit, and uh, I said this to someone uh, right after that press conference ended, that I sort of wonder if maybe, um, you know, he, he realizes that this the, his biggest rival, the team that is standing in his way uh, between a, uh, you know, getting to the playoff himself, winning the Big 12 championship, the team that's always in the way. He's always, you know, he, for the last couple of years, he's been able to say, well, if we uh, can just score a lot of points on that defense, we're going to have a shot. And they did. And now maybe they don't have that shot anymore. And it's like, okay, well, now they have a defense. And I think that's a big problem for the rest of the Big 12. Oklahoma's defense has been its Achilles heel for for the last three, three years for sure. And, and a little bit even beyond that with a couple exceptions here and there. And so um, all of a sudden Tom Herman looks up and, and the team that's in his way uh, is, is a little bit more complete and they're only going to get better. Uh, and, and beyond that, um, Oklahoma and Texas recruit a lot of the same kids and a lot of the same defensive players. Um, and, you know, there's probably a lot of defensive players that watch what happened yesterday in the Cotton Bowl and are all of a sudden thinking, okay, well, maybe I, maybe I will think about Oklahoma. Talk to me about the connection between CeeDee Lamb and, and Jalen Hurts. Uh, to me, this is another big-time storyline in this football game, Jason. It's that all season long we've been waiting for CeeDee Lamb to get more involved in the offense. Uh, now he's got 28 catches in, in the first six games for 610 yards, um, 10 touchdowns. You say that there aren't many better, if any, better wide receivers in, in college football right now than, than CeeDee Lamb. What has changed over the last couple of weeks? You know, I think when I think about Oklahoma and I think about Baker Mayfield and I think about recent history with D.D. Westbrook, uh, does Jalen Hurts and, and CeeDee Lamb have that chemistry that those two aforementioned guys and, and previous big-time players for Oklahoma have? Um, Maybe, uh, but I think this is probably more about CeeDee Lamb. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. There was a, uh, a third-quarter touchdown uh, yesterday where they threw a flea flicker, which was a really, really beautifully designed play. But um, CeeDee Lamb, at one point, if you pause the video, after he caught the ball and sort of moved a little bit, there were five Texas defensive players 
right all around him. Five defensive players. And he kind of slipped through all of them somehow. He's so good in space. But then, later in the game, he catches a touchdown, uh, or he catches a pass along the sideline and just bulls through a couple of people and, and goes and scores. So it's not just speed and grace. He's also got strength. This guy is true. He's a first round draft pick. If you know, barring something crazy, this is a first round draft pick next next spring. I mean, this th- this guy is is going to go down as one of the greatest receivers in OU history. Uh, if he's, I mean, he already is one of the greatest receivers in OU history, and um, it's 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 pretty fun to watch him play. And I mean, you look around the country. I you know, I don't know that there are there are four three or four receivers better than him. If there are, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, I follow the big 12 more closely. So, I mean, obviously Tylen Wallace is, is kind of the, the standard probably, or one of them right now, but um, man, CD lamb is going to be a Blitnikoff finalist and he might win it. And, and, and I'll even, I'm, I'm sorry, John, I'll even go a step further that maybe Jalen hurts. Isn't the, the guy who should be the Heisman candidate on this team. Wow. Wow. I can't, why can't Oklahoma just have two guys go back? And that's why I made the comparison, by the way, because I remember those two Baker and Didi sitting up in, in New York on the CBS set. Why can't both of them make it up to, to New York? They could, I suppose. Um, I think it's, it's just hard for receivers, man. It's hard for anybody that's not a quarterback. And that's uh, that's a little bit of a bummer um, because I, I think more, more guys deserve, consideration for that award but I mean he is he is a matchup nightmare for other teams he certainly is and 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 Oklahoma's offense I mean we could sit here and talk about uh, that for hours on the podcast Lincoln Riley continues to dial up a a phenomenal a a good looking a efficient offense and Jason I, I if you would uh, entertain me with what I think is one of the the more real conversations that we're going to have on the podcast this year and and that is this Texas game being the the speed bump. It was the, the the part of the schedule when you looked down and you said, if Oklahoma is going to make it back to the college football playoff, if Oklahoma is going to win a national championship uh, during the 2019 season, the 2020 college football playoff national championship, if they're going to do those things, they've got to beat Texas. Um, you don't want to go back to the Big 12 championship game with one loss. Uh, with, a, with a chance to, to lose two and get knocked out or, or have to prove yourself once more to get back in. It, it, the goal was an undefeated season. And right now, Jason, you look at the schedule, and it's pretty clear to me that this team should expect to be undefeated, should expect to be in the Big 12 championship game, should expect to win that football game, and should expect to be the one or two seed in the college football playoff. The one or two seed, woo! At thirteen um, and zero, at thirteen and zero, that's the that's I mean, the point. At thirteen and zero, what other team is going to be thirteen and zero in college football at the end of the season? Alabama. What if Alabama's thirteen and zero? Then okay, you give Bama the one seed. You think there's two teams going to going to be thirteen and zero? Three teams that are going to be thirteen and zero? This is important. What about Ohio State? Now. What about Ohio State? I think, I think Ohio State's the best team in the country, by the way. You do. Or L- them or LSU are the best teams in the country right now. Interesting. After what LSU did last night, I mean, their their schedule, their wins are just are just better. And this is all going to get itself sorted out. It doesn't matter really well, that, at this point. It's that, fun. That, it's fun to talk it, about though. It so, is. But hey, I, like I, seriously though, let's let's take away LSU. Yeah. Let's take away Alabama. Okay. Let's take away everybody else in the country because it doesn't matter. 
what matters is Oklahoma's schedule and their and their record heading in to that that final rankings reveal. And you've got West Virginia, you've got Kansas State, you've got Iowa State, you've got Baylor, TCU, and Oklahoma State. This football team should win every single one of those games. Do you agree with me on that? They should. I do agree that they should. Will they? I don't know. I mean, I think Iowa State is is coming into its own a little bit. I think they, you know, and Iowa State won in Norman the last time they played. I think Baylor is the trap game on the schedule. I think that is the game that, that uh, you know, I, I've penciled all summer. I, I've kind of been on the Baylor bandwagon um, since the summer. I think they're really good. I think they could be the second best team in the conference. And I think um, that's going to be a tough trip to Waco. Look, OU has not won a blowout in Waco in like 10 years. Those games are always close. Even... Even two years ago, when Baker Mayfield was the Heisman Trophy winner and OU was that team that probably should have won the national title and lost to Georgia in the Rose Bowl, they almost lost in Waco, and Baylor was 1-11 that year. That is a tough place for them to play, and I, you know, I, I think that is the game that I sort of circle as. That's their next big chance to lose, I think. Um, but, you know, Oklahoma State is... is an interesting team. They they had that really weird loss at Texas Tech a couple weeks ago, but or last week. But uh, I, I still think they're talented, and I still think they could potentially cause some problems. I'm just not ready to say yet that I definitely think they're going to go 13 and 0. I mean, they could, they definitely could, and they definitely should. But OU kind of has a tendency to drop a game here and there that they shouldn't, and until they don't do that, I, I you know it's it's a little bit hard for me to imagine them finishing the regular season undefeated. They haven't done that by the way, since 2004. So, um, that's why I said you know. the conversation's real, Jason. I'm not just throwing around 13 and 0 and I don't listen. I cover college football and undefeated seasons are, are special. They don't happen uh, unless you are, uh, the university of Alabama or, or Clemson right now, where you're just going through this, this epic time in your program history. Uh, but for everybody else in the sport, uh, to achieve a 13-0 and record and go into the college football playoff, that is absolutely special. So I don't throw that around lightly. I don't. And that's why I said this conversation is, is, is getting real, and it's getting real fast. Because uh, this Oklahoma team, if, if, if the offense looks just as good as it has the last couple of years, and you're telling me that this defense is markedly improved, and I look at the schedule, and, and I, I can't help but to – to have that thought that that thirteen and zero is 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 not only real, uh, it should be expected at this point if you're a Sooner fan. Yeah, I, no, I I think that's perfectly fair to say. Um, I I just think that you know they they've still got a long way to go. I mean, they if the offense has a, if if Jalen Hurts goes to Waco and throws two interceptions in the red zone or whatever fumble interception in the red zone, um, and Baylor is able to score a couple quick touchdowns, that game could could get very dicey for them. Um, you know, again, Iowa State did beat OU and Norman the last time they played, although the defense is a lot better than it was two years ago. So um, it's just sort of an interesting – it's really interesting to me to sort of think about where OU stands right now in relation to these other teams because, I mean, we're starting to see some of them get knocked off. We saw Florida get knocked off yesterday. We saw Georgia get stunned yesterday. Man, I was pretty floored that that that, uh, that, that happened. Um and, you know, so now it's kind of there, there are those five teams at the top. Wisconsin probably now belongs in that conversation. Penn State is 
you know, I know your boys, Penn State, they're, they're sort of right there in that mix too now, um, it, or at least uh, should be in that conversation. But, I, you know, I kind of think there's that top five uh, teams, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and who am I for? LSU. Uh, I just said they were the best team in the country, and I already forgot about them. So, um, I, I look, I love LSU right now. I think they're really fun. I think Joe Burrow is really fun to watch, and it's really crazy for me to finally, after all these years, see LSU with a great offense. Um, but they got to beat Alabama. It's like, it's like I'm going to keep forgetting about them until they beat Alabama. It's been way too long since they've done it. But anyway, I guess my point is there are those five sort of teams I think are very much in the top tier, and and I think it's kind of hard to rank them right now. I I, I just if you're basing it all off this year, um, then I think LSU and Ohio State are probably the two best, and then I think uh, OU has a legitimate case for third and or maybe fourth. I mean I. I I you know I I don't know I mean Alabama looks looks pretty unstoppable in a lot of ways Clemson to me maybe maybe the the worst of that group I agree if if I were to rank him and, and ranking's fun and 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 it's it's fun to think about how we differ in this and and for me it's Alabama as a clear number one uh, for me they are the number one team in the country and Oklahoma is the clear number two and. I trust Tua Tungavailoa, and I trust Jalen Hurts. I think those are the two best quarterbacks in the country um, for different reasons. Uh, Jalen Hurts is going to do it both on the ground. He had a subpar game yesterday. He looked human, but he still ran for over 100 yards, Jason, and still ran or still threw for three touchdowns. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous what he's doing in Lincoln Riley's offense. And Tua Tungavailoa, he's the man. Um, to me, you, you put Ohio State number three, and and you look at either LSU or Clemson for four. You, I'm not afraid to penalize Clemson for going up to to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and almost losing that football game. I feel like everybody else in the country is just willing to overlook that and overlook Trevor Lawrence uh, having a really down year. Uh, Clemson belongs nowhere near Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma right now. I I agree. Um, the problem is is that I mean, and this is something that gets talked about all the time. But I mean, the problem is that people have a hard time compartmentalizing different seasons and saying, okay, this is not the same team that it was last year. Um, just because they have the same quarterback and just because they were the national champions does not automatically mean that they deserve to be, you know, ranked number one or number two uh, this year. I mean, it's kind of, it, it, in some ways kind of reminds me of a, uh, 2013 Florida state goes, wins the national title. Jameis Winston wins the Heisman the next year. Uh, you know, they just weren't the same team and they went out and, you know, just got completely humiliated in the college football playoff by Oregon. And I just wonder if something like that might happen to Clemson this year against one of these other top teams. You know, I wonder the same thing. And it's ironic to me because you talk about, you know, being held accountable or, or being judged on your previous season. Don't you think that's happen to, happening to Oklahoma right now? And, and there's some people that are willing to buy in on this defense and others are still saying, hmm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, 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 I need to see a little bit more. Yeah, and I think that was that was fair until this week. I think now the the way they played in the Cotton Bowl changes everything. And and now there are going to be people, there's already people in my Twitter mentions that are saying, uh, well, you know, uh, the defense is just the same. They still gave up 27 points, whatever. Um, but, you know, if you watch the game, there's no way you can honestly look at this defense and say it's the same as last year. You just can't. No, they're they're can't. so much better. Yeah. You're just so much better. It, it's about tackling. It's like a trained – and I do believe in the eye test. It's it's a trained eye from a football guy or a football girl uh, to watch a game and just 
understand. Is that defense playing hard? Are they making tackles? Are they wrapping? Are they swarming to the football? Are they getting pressure on the quarterback? You know, how is it, is this defense playing? Stats aside, what does it look like with, with your own two eyes? And you're right. It's, it's completely night and day. And by the way, it's not – the, the, the stats are not bad. I mean, yeah, the, the point total, you know, you probably want to get that down a little bit, and then you certainly want to see some more takeaways. But they give up 310 yards to an offense that has torched them, you know, the last couple times they've played, to a quarterback that was unstoppable, uh, really. I mean, Sam Ellinger played extremely well against OU uh, in both the regular season and in the Big 12 title game last year, and they really limited him. I mean, the th- so even I mean they gave up I mean it was four yards of play they got four yards of play I mean this is this is not the same defense and so I think that people who say that just didn't watch the game or or didn't care to look at the box score beyond just the the, the point total because um, this is a different defense I mean just watch Kenneth Murray Kenneth Murray is playing like a man possessed I mean I I, I can't believe that's the same guy that we watched play last year and the year before. Kenneth Murray looks like he, I I wrote this uh, in my uh, final thoughts, which I I think will be up by the time this, I'm sure they will be up by the time this podcast comes out. But um, Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore, I think you have to start actually considering if they can be all Americans. That's how good they're playing. It helps uh, with a team that, that has relied on a, a quarterback to, to get as many rushing yards as humanly possible. And can you imagine if, if you are running back um, that what it's like to have a quarterback that, that, that can also run it? I mean, that takes a lot of pressure off of you. Yeah, it, it certainly does. I mean, yesterday was a weird day too um, uh, with when it comes to injuries. And, I, and before we go, I think we should probably address this. Greg Calcaterra didn't play uh, sort of an undisclosed situation. We're not sure exactly what happened. He was there. Uh, on the sideline, but didn't play uh, tight end. Uh, Trey Sermon, who has been you know one of their best players offensively, was out there a lot on the field, but didn't get any record any statistics, which I thought was sort of odd. Um, so I don't know if there was something going on there. And then uh, both tackles, uh, Eric Swenson and Adrian Neely, were both back uh, after Lincoln Riley had led all of us to believe that he they probably wouldn't be. So they both were back. That's big news for Oklahoma's running game. So, I mean, the offense looks good. Um, you know, they, they, they had a, a rough first half, but I mean, this is a, this is still a great offense. And, and the, and the great thing now is you can say this offense can now afford to have a less than perfect day. And that wasn't the case last year. No, it, it wasn't. And apologies. You, you were talking about Kenneth Mary. I thought you were talking about Kennedy Brooks. Uh, who also had a great day, 10 carries, 105 yards, average, average 10 yards a pop. You're right. Uh, Kenneth Murray is balling on the defensive side, and um, you said Kenneth, and, and I thought Kennedy for a second. Uh, we hadn't talked about him, so now's a really good time. Uh, what did you make of his performance yesterday? Well, I mean, he, he looked great. I mean, he's, 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 a, he's a threat in the open field. Um, he's a big play guy. Um, I thought it was – I mean, that's really the only thing you can really say is, is to criticize – I think Lincoln Riley's play calling is probably worth criticizing a little bit just because there are a lot of times when they, they threw the ball when you sort of wonder why they didn't just feed Kennedy Brooks. He finished with 10 carries. Um, he went, you know, a long stretch in the game without any carries – um, so that that was kind of a uh, interesting. I mean, it's hard to criticize Lincoln Riley's play calling too much. I mean, he's a great he's great at what he does, great elite at what he does. But um, sometimes I think he can overthink it a little bit. And yesterday was one of those. I mean, there was a play 
um, a sort of weird uh, reverse where, you know, in the second quarter where C.D. Lamb lined up at quarterback and it just got blown up. I mean, sometimes I just think he gets a little cute. It's fair to say uh, th- that maybe the, a running back should be should, getting the ball more in the offense, but then when you do look at the box score and you see that Jalen Hurts has 17 carries, you know, you add those two together and all of a sudden there's that's 27 runs on the ground. Um, but at the same time, as we look over the next six weeks uh, and we, we study this offense, I think if I were to rank the most important things um, I'd like to see uh, – it's it's an emergence of a true number one back. Is that fair? Um, I don't know. I mean, I maybe to some degree, but at the same time, I mean, they've thrived on having a couple guys. It's, you know, last year Brooks and Sermon finished with you know about the same number of yards, and that was one of the best running attacks in the country. So I don't know how necessary that is, honestly. And then, you know, so even when Trey Sermon isn't playing well, Ramondre Stevenson is a is a big-time running back, too, is proving to be. So, I mean, I think – I don't know that that's necessary, honestly. It's fair. You know, and, and I love talking to you about these games because uh, it just goes to show how you can – two people can have different philosophies when it comes to the game of football. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty – uh, traditional, you know, if I don't have a, a bell cow back, I don't feel comfortable about it. Um, but when you can, when you can have a running back by committee, um, sometimes you're right. That is, that is just as, as effective. Um, it, it's the outside world. Remember, uh, this is the free episode this week. Jason will be back later this week for a subscriber only edition of the show. If you want to hear that as well as read Jason's quality work this week, covering the Oklahoma Sooners, and previewing the matchup with West Virginia this Saturday in Norman. You can go to theathletic.com slash the outside world to subscribe 40% off um, your annual subscription if you use that special promo code. Jason, I saw Sooners fans aren't very happy about another at 11 a.m. kick in Norman this weekend. Uh, it's not just them. I don't think Lincoln Riley's very happy about it. I don't think Joe Castiglione is very happy about it. I mean, it's it's actually pretty ridiculous. I mean, I, I sounds like you you're know, not happy some of about a, it. Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> but but I'm not important uh, in this. Uh, there, you know, it's kind of funny. A lot of sports writers like it um, because you get the day over with and you get to go watch other games and and I and I see that side of it. On the other hand, I don't like waking up early. Um, and you have to wake up super early for these 11 a.m. games for covering them. So, but, but who cares? Nobody cares about my problems. So I'm not, <laughs> I'll stop complaining. Um, uh, but for the players, it, it's a problem because, you know, I mean, having to do that every week is, is it, it sucks. Um, but, the, but for the program, it's a real problem because, um, number one, the fans don't want to get up super early to go out and, and, and get there and all that kind of stuff. And, the recruiting that creates such a problem for recruiting for official visits. Guys have games on Friday night. It's hard to get to Norman, especially if they're coming from out of state in time to play their game, get there in time. And OU plays far too many of these 11 a.m. kicks. I thought it was laughable when Alabama issued a statement complaining about their 11 a.m. noon kicks, whatever, um, earlier this year, just because they have no idea. OU has been having to do this now for years. The Big 12 has been doing this to their premier program. 
And at a certain point, you know, Joe Castiglione or, or somebody needs to say something and needs to to make a big stink about this because it's not right that the pro the program that is carrying your conference is constantly being put in this position where they're playing at this time that is super inconvenient for everybody. I think of it now has a lot to do with Fox and and the big noon window, uh, th- this new broadcasting window that Fox has created on the national network. In, in trying to bring back that early time slot, I think Oklahoma uh, should have a beef with Fox as well because Fox is picking the Sooners to be on that window, and they have already, what, three or four times this year? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And now, the OU-Texas game is different. That that game is going to be at 11. There's That's that's when both schools want it to be for a million reasons. The, the OU-Texas game has to be at 11, but um, – but, you know, a lot of these other games, I, you know, I don't know. I, I haven't studied all the complex issues of all this. All I know is that this is not this is not new. OU has been doing this for a long time. It's just worse now. 11 a.m. kick in Norman just means one thing. Get to the, the tailgate spot as early as possible and get as many drinks as possible in uh, before you can go, get go to the Mott and, Go to the Mott and drink a swirl. Get a swirl. That's right. Uh, get started right. That's a nice base for the day. Um, a swirl with uh, a little bit of Everclear. That'll get you through uh, four quarters of football, especially when you should be up uh, about 30 points on West Virginia. I think a team in the Big 12 that is just uh, not doing great in, uh, what is it, Neil Brown, his first year as West Virginia head coach, Jason? Yeah, and uh, depending on how injured he is, uh, the return of Austin Kendall, who was really close to beating out Kyler Murray last year for the starting job. That's a nice underlining. I don't know. If, for I don't week. know if you can. Eh, eh. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't close to beating out Kyler Murray for the job. I don't know if you could sense the sarcasm. No, no, in my no, voice. no. I, I, I know <laughs> that he wasn't close to beating him out, but my point is, it's nice to to have a very familiar face when you're covering a football game. Going into what you know, this West Virginia game, um, when you're looking at the opponent, if you are an Oklahoma fan, or if you are covering the team, there is a familiar face at possibly at the, at the quarterback position that that maybe enhances this game a little bit compared to playing against Texas Tech's backup quarterback. Yeah, fair enough. That's true. It's the outside world. I'm John Hayes. You can follow me at John Hayes on air on Twitter. You can follow Jason Kersey at Jason Kersey on Twitter as well. Uh, when you do subscribe to The Athletic, remember, use theathletic.com slash the outside world to get 40% off an annual subscription and get all of Jason's great coverage of the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, as we walk out of the door here today, Jason, I want to get your thoughts on the remainder of the season. Now that we're six games in, I think we should we can we can put down some official predictions um, now that we're at the halfway point of the year. How do you think this season uh, finishes up? What is Oklahoma's final record and and who do they play in the college football playoff if you have them there? And, and do they win the national championship? Um, man, I mean, I. It's so hard. I mean, I, 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 as I said earlier, I mean, I think that uh, it would be. Di- it's always difficult to go undefeated in the regular season. So um, I would. My, I mean, uh, I hope OU fans don't hate me for this, but my guess would be twelve and one in Big Twelve champions with a loss 
in Waco. I think they, I think that's a, I think that's an extremely dangerous place for them. And uh, I could, I could see that that going the other way. Um, but if you're 12 and one, Big 12 champions, it sort of depends on what else is going on around the country. If Ohio State is in the mix, um, you know the Pac-12's out, so don't even worry about the Pac-12. Um, but you know, then if if Clemson goes undefeated, which they should, they would probably get back in. Um, and then the question just sort of becomes, will two SEC teams get in? And uh, and which two SEC teams get in? Georgia seemed like a, a strong possibility to be one of two, uh, as they've been twice, or they were two years ago and almost were last year. Um, but, you know, that loss to South Carolina is really ugly, and I, I don't quite know how they recover from that unless they go and win the SEC. Um, Florida now has a loss. It, it's sort of hard for me to see them running the table at this point. So, you know, it would probably, I, I guess, be two West teams then that, that get in and that could get in and maybe Alabama and LSU uh, both get in. So I don't know. I I'm talking myself in circles here. So um, I hadn't, I haven't written all this out or, or figured all this out. So it's a little bit hard for me, but um, a 12 and one, a 12 and one big 12 champion Oklahoma is going to get in most years because they're Oklahoma. Um, so I, my guess would be that they do get in if they're 12 and one and big 12 champions, especially if they don't get blown out in Waco. You know, my, my favorite thing to do on the pod, Jason is put you on the spot just so you know, so always be prepared <laughs> when, when you're coming to do a recording session on the free episode of the outside world. Uh, the listeners can, can hold me accountable, uh, to put Jason on the spot every week, which is good because I think that's when we get your real thoughts unfiltered when we don't let you prepare, uh, to answer a question like that. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, it's consistent, Jason, you know, like you said, we talked about this earlier in the show and I think what we do is we circle that Baylor game, but we can't forget about, you know, uh, the, the road game at Oklahoma state. And the good thing is that that's, that's rivalry weekend. That's the final week of the season. And if you are 11 and 0 going into that football game, um, I think that's a good, a, a great place to be, um, both like on the field and mentally off the field. You know, one win against Oklahoma State on the road against your rival gets you an undefeated regular season. Then you probably go for a rematch with with Texas in the in the Big 12 championship game to put you in the playoff. Uh, I think just for the record and, and it's fun to be on the record. And and that's why I asked is I think there'll be three undefeated teams in college football this year. I think it's Alabama, Clemson and Oklahoma. And I, and I think that fourth spot um, in the college football playoff is going to be totally up for grabs. I think if anything, uh, the college football playoff and the history of it has told us one thing is that usually the top three seeds are undebatable and it comes down to that fourth and final spot. Um, if Oklahoma does have a loss, Jason, and it is at Baylor, uh, I'm afraid that, that, that it could really, really hurt them in the long run. But, but a, a loss like, like Georgia suffered yesterday against South Carolina, that helps the Sooners. We'll see what LSU does. Uh, a, a big time blowout loss at Alabama would be a major problem for the Tigers because um, you know people would say once again same old LSU can't beat Alabama so a one loss LSU in that situation would, would cause some issues as well but all this is I think a, a, a long winded way to say Jason that we're halfway through the season and we still don't know shit <laughs> that's right that's exactly right a lot of stuff can happen it, it absolutely can, man. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you uh, post-game and, and talking about the Sooners. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it, and, and I'm looking forward to the second half of the year. Yeah, me too, man. Thanks so much. We'll be back uh, later this week. Jason Will with a bonus episode of The Outside World, uh, previewing this weekend's game against West Virginia. In the meantime, please subscribe. Theathletic.com slash The Outside World. You'll get access to that 
bonus episode as well as Jason's writing um, this week and the remainder of the year uh, on The Athletic. For Jason Kersey, I'm John Hayes. Talk to you soon.